Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hello and welcome to Nothing Concrete, the Barbican podcast. I'm Ben Eshmaid, and for this visit to our archive, we return to an interview with actor and director Desiree Akavan, speaking to her in detail about her film, The Miseducation of Cameron Post. And that's what was in my head while we were making it. John Hughes and Todd Haynes had a bastard love child. I think it would be this movie. Akavan's The Miseducation of Cameron Post is the follow-up to her debut, Appropriate Behaviour, and is drawn from the 2012 novel of the same name. So to the drama, set in the 90s, the film stars Chloe Grace Moretz as Cameron Post, who finds herself after a post-prom outing in a Christian gay conversion camp. She bonds with new outsider friends Jane Fonda, played by Sasha Lane, and Forrest Goodluck, played by Adam Red Eagle. I've come to meet our new disciple. Welcome, Cameron. I'm Dr. Lydia Marsh. I'm the director of God's Promise. You can call me Cam. Cameron's already a masculine name. To abbreviate it to something even less feminine only exacerbates your gender confusion. Back in 2018, I met up with the director in London to discuss her second feature. I would say that the journey from first film to second film was a hustle. It was a hustle because it took creating my own opportunities again, but which I expected. Mm. I never expected it to be any different, but I do think sometimes you make a first film and you get scooped up by the industry and yeah. suddenly the right script comes across your table and, or you get a three picture deal. And I mean, every time that happens, it happens with a male director. So being my gender with my interests, I did not expect that to happen. And so it was hand-in-hand hand with Cecilia Frugioelle, who is my co-writer on this film mm. and produced Appropriate Behavior and produced um, Cameron Post. And we optioned this book and pushed it every step of the way. And every time we had a door slam in our face, you know, we found a backdoor entrance. So it was a hustle, but it, it was also, for a movie, it went by surprisingly fast. How did you find that process of obviously in, in your first film, you were in the film, it, it was an alternative perhaps version of you. So this is very more, you, you were a step back. So I was terrified going into this. And many times I wrote to Cecilia saying that I was underqualified to direct this <laughs> and that we should just pack our bags and go home. And she pushed me every step of the way. And once we got started, once we got the green light and had the cast together and were in prep, it was so natural and fantastic and so much better than starring in it. I will never, ever do this again. Really? Yes. 
I, I actually know this because I made the mistake of starring in my work again while directing on a television <laughs> series for Channel 4 that's out in October. It's called okay. The Bisexual. And I started it and it was hell. And I was so spoiled by the experience of shooting Cameron Post and mm. not being in it myself. I forgot how emotional it becomes when your body is other people's property. Yeah. And when you're acting, you're someone else's real estate, you know? You got a mic on you at all times. I mean, also my my work has a lot of sex in it. So I the television series had many sex scenes and I I didn't realize how much of a toll that would take on me emotionally. Mm. And then to have to direct and shove that down. I think it's good to be vulnerable as an actor, but as a director, you are at the helm of a ship and you need to keep it together. And it was so hard. And Cameron Post was so luxurious because I guess I just got to curate this amazing crew and this amazing Mm. cast. And then like a conductor, you know, step in crescendo when it needed crescendo, step back, let it come down at the right time. And you take the temperature. You see, like, what do people need? When we first came to set, Chloe Moretz, the actress who plays the lead role, didn't want backseat driving. And it was really clear to me that she had a lot to say. So by the end of the week, when we shot her first sex scene, I didn't even watch a rehearsal. I hit the entire crew. It was just herself and Quinn Shepard, who plays uh, Coley in the back of the car. This was the first sex scene of the film. And Ashley Connor, the cinematographer in the front seat, and the focus puller hid underneath the vehicle. And it was parked. And we, the entire crew, hid with the monitor in the the high school building about 300 yards away. And I thought, you know, if this isn't right, I'll step in. But let me give her a chance to do her own thing. She clearly has an idea here. And I watched the first take and it was like magic. (laughs) And I had never experienced it as a director watching a monitor and everyone around me, we all got chills and we all saw magic on screen. And it, that whole sex scene is in a wonder because we didn't need to get coverage for it. Mm. She just did it. And I, I just kind of knew get out of that girl's way. And I think the way you can intuit people's needs and step back when you're not acting in something, when you're just doing your job as a director is a really powerful, beautiful thing. And I was really grateful to have that experience. Speaking of Chloe, she'd taken a hiatus. Mm-hmm. I think it's fair to say that she'd done a lot of roles and been doing a lot of work and felt that she was being stretched a bit. 60 films by the time she was uh, 19. Wow. Yeah. So obviously, if, if she wanted to go back into filmmaking and, and being an actor, she wanted the right part. So that's the greatest compliment you could have had. It really was. I mean, we never thought of Chloe for this because we didn't think she'd want to make a movie like this. Mm. So we had been holding auditions for a few weeks and I hadn't found anyone that was right. And I was kind of reaching this point with my financier where we were thinking, maybe it's not, maybe we shouldn't make this film. We couldn't find the right cast. While I was on the phone with him talking it out, my casting director put a post-it in front of me that said, Chloe wants to meet and I was totally shocked. And you were a fan, was it? Yeah. I was a fan, but I never thought of her for Cameron. It just didn't feel like we were making a Chloe Moretz film, which is, a, to me, at that time, was like a blockbuster, like a, or a studio movie mm. about, you know, a straight white girl who falls in love with a boy, who falls in love with her, and then she gets leukemia or some shit. I was not expecting... Like, she had been in... I loved her... But I didn't love the kind of teen films that 
were featuring her in the past few years. And I didn't realize she had taken a hiatus. And when someone said Chloe wants to meet about Cameron, I was suddenly really excited because I thought, oh, that's really clever casting because I would never consider her Mm. in this role. And I really like a juxtaposition of genre, of comedy, of casting. I love Tom Cruise in Magnolia. I love... Jim Carrey in his straight roles. I think when you see someone whose persona is built in one direction, play something off kilter to that, like Chloe to me was an ingenue, like a princess. Mm. And to see if she could play, you know, a dyke with swagger, I was like, that is exciting to me. Not to see someone, Mm. I don't want to preach to the choir. I want to make something that throws you off base. And and Chloe really loses herself and all the all the persona that I've seen her build over the years, you know, she's in clouds of Sils Maria and she plays this Hollywood starlet. And I feel like we couldn't have gone further away from that with this movie. I've been brought closer to God and I can feel him guiding me. Like Helen's a really good friend and we're positive influences on each other. That's her by the milk. That girl's name is Jane Fonda, like her actual name. Either that or she's lying. She could be lying. The thing that I found quite interesting when I was reading uh, a little bit of background, the thing that made it suddenly make sense was the fact that you were a fan of John Hughes movies. And and, and it's kind of like a weird breakfast club, I suppose. Thank you. That is high, (laughs) high praise in my book. And that's what was in my head while we were making it. John Hughes and Todd Haynes had a bastard love child. I think it would be this movie. I love John Hughes' film. I love teen films in general. And Mm. I feel like in the past two decades, teen films have started to really talk down to the experience of coming of age and really neutered it and took away the stakes and the heartbreak and the ugliness Mm. and the sexiness. And I wanted to make a film that had an urgency to it. And that one thing that I realized the further I get into my 30s is like, I'm pretty much the same person I was at 15. I just have experience. And when you're 15, you have this personnel and you have these desires and you have this intelligence or stupidity or whatever. And this desire that's like engulfing you, desire to be touched, desire to, to love, desire to be loved, yet no outlet for it. And also constantly being told the adults around you or by the media around you to doubt yourself, to doubt every instinct. And you feel diseased in some way. Like to me, this gay conversion therapy center, it wasn't an agenda I had to bring focus. I thought it was an out of date problem. I didn't realize it was relevant until like halfway through my research that it was unfortunately a very relevant problem that's growing. To me, gay conversion therapy was a metaphor for what it was to be any teenager, gay or straight. That even as a stray kid, you you feel diseased in some way and that you really want to exercise yourself of anything that makes you different from the mainstream. And that's the story I wanted to tell. And to me, that felt like a really universal Tom Hughes, John, Tom Hughes, John Hughes way <laughs> telling a story. The, from the, the people I've spoken to who've experienced gay conversion therapy, it can be a total bang fest. Uh, it's like a, a bathhouse of sorts. But also, I mean, it's the, one of the most exciting things about coming of age is finally meeting someone who speaks your language. Yeah. And that was one of those moments I wanted to capture in the movie. The, again, to you know, real ensemble cast, um, I really loved John Gallagher as uh, Reverend Wick and obviously his, his sister in the film, Jennifer L as Dr. Lydia March. There is a lovely moment 
towards later in the film where he's confronted with the idea that he doesn't know what he's he's doing and and it's very revealing at that point because these adults are playing really or they're trying to enforce their own point of view onto these children and and yeah I found that quite powerful I think that's a really universal feeling for anybody coming of age is no adult really knows what they're doing mm. and I think this happens for people at different stages of their life but when they realize that their parents are the the adults in their life that they've been blindly following don't actually have all the answers and they're kind of winging it like mm. everyone's just winging it and hoping that it's okay that the pieces will fall in the right place <laughs> but then i don't know i definitely had this moment i was in college where i looked at my parents and i was like oh my god you don't know what you're doing it is the blind leading the blind and it's around the same time that you start to question what home is mm. and where home is yeah. that's something that i think most people face in their their lives at different ages depending on what your circumstances are and i always wanted that to be a major theme in the film and to me a, a theme that felt really universal in john hughes films again to bring it back to him if that's the theme of this interview i changed how it was god cameron i asked for his help and he gave it to me in the form of those allies I was so deeply unhappy, but I didn't think I was worth saving. And I wonder if you've asked that of yourself. Are you worth saving? Yeah, it's interesting because they can they kind of escape at any point, I think is the point by the end of the film. But um, yeah, as you say, they're clinging on to, to fathers or mothers and seeking their approval or searching, you know, again, maybe back to religion, to a higher power to, 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 re to relieve them. But yeah, it, it, it's, it's fascinating because there is, even though there are walls, they're not trapped there. Yeah, I mean, defined trapped. I think being trapped by the expectations and trying to please the adults who raised you is, is being trapped. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, yeah, physically they're not being held down. But any circumstances that are awful in your life, you like no one's holding you down to them. You're holding yourself down to them. And yeah. I think that's true of adults in any circumstances. We all establish every person for themselves what's right, what's wrong, what's successful, what's not successful, and then you trap yourself to it. Mm. Why do we live in London? It's exhausting. Because yeah. I've trapped myself here. No one's put a chain around my neck saying I need to pay a ridiculous amount in rent and then like keep my head above water with this insane rent. But I decided it so I could attend Barbican screenings more often. <laughs> Excellent. Good answer. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean uh, Forrest, good luck as Adam Red Eagle. I, I don't know if this was in the book, but I loved that idea of the two spirits that he, he talks about. It was in the book, yeah. I should put credit where it's due. Um, Emily Danforth, who wrote the book, was, I mean, she's incredible and this is her story. Not mm. personally, I don't mean like she didn't go through gay conversion therapy, but she created these characters and yeah. then gifted them to me. And Adam Red Eagle was so fascinating because I had never heard of two spirit. He identifies as two spirit. Um, which is a Native American term, and he's Lakotan. So winkta is the word that they use. Yeah, I, it was really important to us to cast an actor who was Native American. Adam and I went to the Two-Spirit community in, in New York. There was a, a space in Chinatown where they had rented out and had a, like a community headquarters. And we got to meet with a bunch of people who identify as Two-Spirit. And I think... It's in the movie now, 
I think verbatim, but what we, they taught us was that it, like literally the word wingtip means it's like killed by a woman. So it's like the oh, male yeah. part of his soul is being beaten by the female part of him. I don't know where it classifies on the queer or the trans spectrum, but it's, I don't think it's good to equate them because native language and traditions are kind of their own thing and can't be yeah. soaked up into another culture. They're kind of are and I don't know where it comes into play with gender and sexuality, but but it was very much its own community and its own classification, and um, also a very different standing in the community, depending on where they had grown up and how into res life they had been as children. We touched on this earlier, but sort of final question is: um, I'm sure you've received much positive feedback from from the film, um, you know, personal feedback. Um, the problems of conversion camps, as you found out, are still there. I mean, do you think that people will get a little bit more hope or a sort of different side to the story as part of this film? I mean, it's obviously complicated for you because obviously it's, I don't even want to say it's entertainment, but it is. It's it, entertainment. It, it, I'll probably say it's entertainment or without fear. Um, but yeah, also I hope that it encourages people to vote. Elections are coming up in America and all that is evil is uh, being represented by the Republican Party right now. So it's important to me that people vote. Um, We went to D.C., Chloe and I, with this film, and it's really, and we were working with Matthew Shurka, who's a survivor of gay conversion therapy, who has started, launched um, the Born Perfect movement with a team of lawyers, and they're advocating um, to eradicate gay conversion therapy, I think, on a legal basis. Before it was for minors exclusively, against minors um, on a legal level. It's been really hard because of the freedom of speech Mm. uh, protests. But right now, it's actually really interesting. The way that they've been able to do it is through consumer fraud. If you cannot um, free someone of being gay, then that's consumer fraud. And Actually, have they been getting some traction on that argument, wow. which is really interesting and mm. exciting. So we were working with him to bring attention to the issue. I think around 14 states have outlawed it with minors in the U.S. In the U.K., this still exists. Really? And yes, with the majority of BAME uh Constituents. I don't know. I've never heard that term before. I'm thinking people of color is with the yeah. American equivalent of BAME. But I think... Um, yeah, that's been the focus of, in America, it's more white evangelical Christian mm. following. Yeah, I definitely want to bring attention to this issue and I want it to be something in people's minds, but also it has to do with people voting. It's really important that yeah. people show up for the politics they believe in. Yeah. And, and a younger be, generation as well. Exactly, and, and be mobilized. I think there's I can't speak for this country, but in America there's, and I do think it exists in this country. I just won't speak to it at length because I can't because of my accent and I would be killed. But um, there's a lot of fear bubbling beneath the surface in America. Like we're we're suddenly exposed to this new neo-Nazi constituent that was there all along and we chose to ignore it. And I think it has a lot to do with poverty and education basic human rights that aren't being addressed in that country. All of this, to me, has to do with fear and anger about people's state. And if there was just a little bit more equality in what it is to be a human being living in America, then a lot of this would be eradicated. But there isn't. And I do believe that voting and and being an informed voter is the answer to that. 
Thanks to Desiree for speaking to us. The miseducation of Cameron Post is an important yet entertaining piece of filmmaking. The drama seems just as fresh and relevant today as it was when it was made. I'm Ben Eshmade. Thanks for listening to this archive edition of Nothing Concrete, the Barbican podcast. Here to inspire more people to discover and love the arts with weekly episodes of archive finds and theme series. Subscribe to Nothing Concrete on Acast, Spotify or wherever you find your podcasts. And if you can, leave us a review to help us get the word out. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.